The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. If you want the answers, you're in the right place at the right time. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies to help you gain control over your life with MS using only the best insights, advice, and research from top industry experts. Not only that, you'll learn MS-specific exercises and tips to stay consistent, motivated, and inspired. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to our Missing Link podcast. I am so excited because I have Dr. Aaron Boster here with me today. And I feel like most of you guys listening probably already know who he is. You've seen him either on YouTube or Twitter. I feel like you're all over just sharing such valuable information, really internationally, because it's all online. So it's an honor having you here. I am tickled to be invited. Thank you very much for having me. And it's exciting to chat with you. Absolutely. So just in case some of you guys don't know who he is, I did want to fill you in. So Dr. Aaron Boster is a board certified neurologist specializing in multiple sclerosis and related central nervous system inflammatory disorders. He decided to become an MS doctor at age 12 as he watched his uncle Mark suffer from the disease in an era before treatment was available. Dr. Boster grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and attended undergraduate at Oberlin College. Did I pronounce that right? Oberlin, yeah. Oberlin, gotcha. He earned his MD at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine and completed an internship in internal medicine and residency in neurology at the University of Michigan. He then completed a two-year fellowship in clinical neuroimmunology at Wayne State University. Since then, Dr. Boster has been intimately involved in the care of people impacted by multiple sclerosis. He has been a principal investigator in numerous clinical trials, trained multiple sclerosis, MS doctors, and nurse practitioners, and has been published extensively in medical journals. He lectures to both patients and providers worldwide with a mission to educate, energize, and empower people impacted by MS. He lives in Columbus, Ohio with his wife, Chrissy, son, Maxwell, and daughter, Betty May. I love your entire bio because I feel like it shows not only your education, but also your passion in helping your clients. And that comes through in everything that you do, all of the videos that I see. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I, I was the weirdo uh, in high school that said, I want to be a multiple sclerosis doctor when I grow up. Um, I've had a very directed course, almost mission-driven um, to help families impacted by MS live their best lives despite having this disease. Um, you know, it's very personal to me. Uh, a long time ago, a couple doctors took very poor care of my family. And I promised my mom a long time ago that I would learn to do it better. Um, and so I'm trying to live up to that promise. I think you absolutely are. You're truly, I love your videos because I can tell that so many people with MS love them. I just look at all the comments and they're loving it. But also as a physical therapist, if I ever have a question about something, you're my first resource. I go to YouTube and I'm like, what does Dr. Boster think about this? You, you know, I, I realized a long time ago that, you know, if we, if we see a patient in the MS center four times a year, let's say, 
which would be twice more than the national average, that means that 361 days out of the year, they still have MS and I'm not seeing them. And, and that's inadequate. You know, if you were going to teach me proper gait mechanics and you met with me for half an hour every three months, I would walk poorly. I would not walk well because that's not enough time. So that's when I started to realize that if I didn't extend myself beyond the walls of the clinic, then I, I wasn't going to be able to help people the way that I wanted to. And social media turns out to be one heck of a decent medium. You know, sometimes you need to hear something like at three in the morning by yourself in your bathroom. You know, you may not be in the mood to hear something and receive something, particularly something heavy, you know, right when you're in a busy clinic visit. So YouTube kind of puts it out there in the ether and then you could check it out if and when you wanted. And, and I, there's something cool about that, you know? Yeah. And that's so true. As a physical therapist, I think that sometimes I take for granted that I do get to see my clients more often. And, you know, on my end, it's more disappointing because insurance cuts them off or, you know, something happens where we can't continue. So I'll see them frequently for a few months and then not at all for the rest of the year. So I still get that to a sense, but for neurologists, it's way worse. We definitely um, are, are trying to help manage a chronic changing condition with intermittent visits, yes. um, you know, and so trying to help educate and energize and empower people with a, a video on bladder or a video on walking, you know, I hope that that can help someone, uh, you know, so that's, it's always nice when I hear that feedback. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get too far into it, I do just want to ask you, what is something that we might not know about you, even though you're all over our news feeds everywhere, what's something we might not know about you? So I'm uh, bilingual. I was an exchange student in France a long time ago. And comme ça, je parle français avec n'importe qui. Et même en sclosse on peut parler de ça aussi. So, so that's something that um, sometimes surprises other Ohioans. Um, <laughs> and uh, a second thing would be a long time ago, I was a state champion powerlifter. It was almost a different life um, where wow. I, I, was, uh, I took powerlifting really seriously all through high school and college. So those are some things about me that you might not know. That's amazing. I, so question, how long did you live in France for? So I, I finished my high school and I took a deferred enrollment to Oberlin College. And then I went over to France for like 12 and a half months and I repeated a year of school for no credit. <laughs> wow, that's great. I, I took French classes from seventh grade to senior year. Nice. And then I studied abroad in Paris, but we had trimesters in college. Sure. So it was only for four weeks. So not long. But I am ashamed that I am not in any way bilingual. <laughs> I am. Um, I've I've had the pleasure of sending my children initially to a, a, a French immersion school. They've since gone on to other schools, but it was really fun um, raising them, um, being able to speak French. You know, sometimes you need to say, "Hey, stop that," and you don't want anyone to hear. So you can say, "Arrête de faire ça." You know, <laughs> and that works out really well. <laughs> That's so great. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So I want to get into some things that. You know, obviously with MS, there's just so many different symptoms and each individual with MS can present differently on each day that we see them, which partially is one reason why I love being a PT and MS specialist, because I love that creativity and brainstorming. Yep. But as a neurologist, I'm curious as to what are some things that are so important that regardless of if they mention it to you during a visit or not, it's something that you look for during your screenings. That's a wonderful question. Um, thank you for asking me that question, because the reality is there's a tremendous amount of stuff that we need to be on point with every single visit. And actually, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. So thank you. <laughs> so 
So the reason this is so important, the screening concept, is because a lot of the pathology in MS is invisible. Now, if you have a hitch in your giddy up and you have a spastic monopresis and you walk with a limp, that's obvious to the outside observer. But, but there are a lot of pathology, a lot of symptomatology that is invisible. Um, for example, uh, the up there's. So thinking of memory, energy, mood, those are very commonly impacted in MS. Over half of people are clinically depressed. About 70% of people may have clinical impairment and, and the vast majority of people are fatigued. Except to look at them, honey, you look so good. So if I don't screen for those things, I might not pick them up, um, you know, because we're sitting there talking and, you know, you're doing great in this arbitrary false environment of the clinic construct. Um, Similarly, the down there's, you know, if you would like to ruin the quality of life of an adult, mess with the down there's bowel, bladder and sexual function. And so often people impacted by MS may be horribly constipated or incontinent of urine or have dyspareunia, meaning pain with intercourse. And it really destroys their life, but they're scared to talk about it. So we have to screen for these things. And it goes beyond that. Um, Something that's very near and dear to your heart is we screen for falls. So I need to know how many times have you fallen, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And that oftentimes is a very important discussion. I I screen for loss of work or, or stepping away from work because that's a very important metric for the quality of life. And then we also have to screen for a few other things like adherence to DMT, because the medicine you don't take is the medicine that doesn't work. And so, so much of um, getting ready for the visit are are asking the patient to complete patient reported outcome measures, which measure fatigue and measure cognition and, you know, measure memory. And there's questionnaires about bladder and bowel and all this kind of stuff. And I think at first, sometimes patients are maybe a little put off. Why am I filling out all these forms? But I hope that they really quickly understand that I'm not going to miss anything and that I'm going to cast a broad net. And so any badness that's coming by, I'm going to grab it and then we can work on it together. Um, But that screening stuff is super important. Yeah, I, you know, as I'm jotting things down as you're saying these things and you're so right. I have found that if you don't ask them, they won't tell you often because there's so many other things happening that it might not be a priority for them, but it's still something happening. So I love that you do that. One question for you as well with the screenings, not necessarily screenings, but the questionnaires What's your thoughts since every day is so different? You know, what are your thoughts on the days that you choose to do the time 25 foot walk test or the fatigue questionnaire? That is a brilliant question. Um, that's, That's a really, really important question because you bring up something which is critical is that your motor performance in the morning might be different than your motor performance in the afternoon. And your motor performance in August in Ohio is rather different than your motor performance in February in Ohio, right? And so that's not just specific to walking. That's, that's, you know, something that we see vastly. So how do you deal with that? So there's a couple of ways. So one way I'm beta testing an app, right? So, so there's a manufacturer that has made an app called floodlight MS. And we're one of a couple of sites around the country that are testing this app. And if the patient downloads it, it's free. And if they download it, they can link it to my clinic. And as often as they want, they can do these tests, they do a test um, where they put the phone in their pocket and they walk briskly till it beeps and they do a sharp turn. They do a timed two-minute walk, not six-minute, but you know, distance mm-hmm. for two minutes. They do a pinching tomatoes, which is very similar to the nine-hole peg test. And they do a tracing test to look at dexterity. And then there's a cog test. So they do this and they, they actually fill out a couple of questionnaires as well. And however often they do it, once, a hundred times, once a day, once a week, once a month, I see the results. 
So when I jump on camera with them, and we only typically remember two weeks worth of history, like when you think back about what happened in the past, typically we can think about two weeks. But here we can go back and say, well, a month ago, your left hand really didn't look like it was doing very well. And they'll say, oh my gosh, you're right, doc. So technology like that is very powerful. So what else can we do? Some of our questionnaires ask specifically in the last two weeks, in the last six weeks, you know, they try to go back in time. But the most powerful tool is educating the human to let me know when there's drama. So if you're starting, we'll use falling as an example. If you're starting to slip and fall, do not wait two and a half months until you see me again to tell me. Call our clinic and say, dude, I'm falling. And then we're going to do a prompt telemedicine visit. And they're probably going to end up in front of someone with your credentials, lickety split. And so by helping the human being and the family understand that this is a dynamic changing process, and if there's some change, I need to know about it. That's actually probably the most important tool. Yeah. And I, I am wondering, do you find that people either reach out to you all the time because they're nervous that something is a relapse or a flare, or do they not reach out because they don't want to annoy you or your schedule is so busy, you know, they don't want to get in your way? I think that this gets into human nature. And just like you, if you do this for long enough or you see enough people, you're going to see a bell curve of different personalities and whatnot. I would submit to you that the majority of people are both respectful of my time, which is really kind of them. And they are, you know, they're invested in their care. I think most people want to live their best life and they they want to be actively involved. And so what I do when I meet someone is I give them my cell phone. And I tell them, please don't call my cell phone to wish me a happy Friday night, you know, or for an appointment. But if you have an emergency or you're in an ER and they can't pronounce sclerosis, you know, holler. And what I found is people only call when they really need to. So I've made myself completely open. I mean, I only have one phone and they're respectful of it. And so I do think, yes, there are some people, particularly early in the disease, when they're starting to try to understand stuff, they may need a bit more from me or from my team. And there are veterans that are rock stars at this and they know their body so, so well. And, and then there's those people that are stoic Ohio farmers that, you know, they could cut their leg off and they would just put it in their backpack and keep hopping along. But again, we go back to education. I set expectations. If you have a new symptom lasting longer than a day, I get a phone call. If you have a symptom for less than a day, I don't get a phone call yet. You know, and we, we are constantly revisiting that. Today, I had a discussion where the wife of the, the patient is the husband, the wife ratted him out and said, I had, he had a problem and he refused to call you. And I told him to call you and he wouldn't do it. To which I said to her, you have my cell phone also just call him, call me, you know, rat him out. (laughs) Um, And he said, okay, fine, fine. So, you know, we were really gaming out how we will communicate in the future and reinforcing the importance of let your doc know. I love that. Yeah. I used to love when spouses or even a best friend or someone would come in during the initial evaluation, because you do get so much more information. Well, you know, do you ever fall? No. And then the person's (laughs) going, what? You know, I mean, they'll kind of tell the truth or help, you know, the other thing is one of your village members, one of your intimate village members, you know, like your spouse or your best friend, they see you from the outside looking in. It's a different perspective and it, it helps us a great deal. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that you can learn from some, from a, a best friend, which would impact the way that you deliver care. Yes. Yeah. And one thing that I, again, as a PT, it's fall strength balance. And one thing that I used to see a lot is people would walk back for their initial evaluation. I would follow them. So I'd be walking behind and I would notice that they're touching the wall with one hand the entire time as they're going back, which tells me, okay, their balance might not be great. And then we get in the room 
it gets to the point where we're talking about balance and I'll say, any issues with balance? Do you ever touch walls or anything? <laughs> yep. And their, their immediate response is, no, 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 I'm good there. And you know, sometimes they don't even realizing it. So having another person does give a better picture so that, so that we as doctors can help more. Exactly right. No, yeah. because it's not that the person doesn't want to tell us. It's just that, right. you know, they have their unique perspective and sometimes they're not sure what information to give us. Yes. Yeah. So that's very, very helpful. Yeah. So what homework, if any, do you give your clients? But since it is so long between they see you, is there anything you tell them to do oh, or yeah. what like does that look lots like? Lots and lots of stuff. So when I do a new consultative visit, I've grown a pattern of breaking new consults into two one-hour visits. That seems to work really well for me. And it also works during this viral pandemic when we're doing more stuff on telemedicine and whatnot. So, so invariably with a new consult, they typically have four homework assignments at the end of a visit, right? The first homework assignment is to write down three to five long-term life goals. Like I want to climb Monte Picchu or I want to get my master's degree or I want to walk my daughter down the aisle and she can't get married till she's 40, you know, whatever. And the reason I want to give them that assignment is I need to know the goals, all right? Because MS can try to take those away from you. And if I'm going to help you live your best life, I need to know that our goal is to climb Monte Picchu. And I'm going to be asking the patient to do weird things like, like stick their head in a tube or like take a, a medicine in their vein or something, right? And they're not going to agree with me because like doctor knows best. I hope they're going to agree with me because I'm on their team trying to get them to climb on a Pichu. So I think that homework assignment early on in the relationship is very, very important. And then I return the information by sharing MS goals, right? And then the second homework assignment, very near and dear to your heart, is a realistic expectation for exercise. So I tell them, look, don't tell me you're going to run twice a day because you're not. Like, don't tell me you're going to become a MMA champion because you're probably not. But could you do a online yoga uh, routine on Saturday? Could you go for a walk after dinner? Could you do water Zumba once a week? You know, and so when we get back together, I want realistic expectations for exercise integrated into I have three children and a husband who's needy and a job that wants me to show up and like all these things, right? So that's the second homework assignment. The third homework assignment is to rank order the symptoms that suck the most. So I often, based on our conversation, can glean that. But I, I really like asking the patient because sometimes I'm off. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I want them to say, look, the biggest thing is the cognition. The second biggest is the erectile dysfunction. The third biggest is the constipation. Okay. Now we know how we're going to provide value up front and we know where the quality of life is going to improve. And then the last homework assignment typically is I will narrow down our discussion to a couple, maybe two MS disease modifying therapies. And I'll ask them to look at my YouTube videos on those therapies not to pick a drug, just to educate themselves in preparation for our next discussion. So that's an example where there's a lot of homework. Now, I give homework assignments and I give challenges very frequently. So for example, there's a fantastic gentleman, a guy that I just adore. I, I only met him last year and he lives in Texas where it's very hot. And when he developed MS, one of the bad things that happened is he went from being extremely good, like competitive at golf to not playing. He just didn't play anymore. Because he couldn't do it. Like, he, I think he was at a, his wife said he was like a, like a pro level. And so he'd stop doing it. So I gave him a challenge to go on a golf course. And it took a couple discussions and visits. And I got a text message of him golfing. And that I won the day. That was, I mean, <laughs> that was awesome. Yes. So, so I try to do, I try to do challenges like that. Like, for example, I have a patient down in Florida, a lovely family, lovely patient. 
and she was really struggling, you know, with social isolation. And one of the things that I think she maybe got in her head was that she couldn't go outside. Well, during this global viral pandemic, it's not that you can't go outside. You just don't want to be around others. So, so she and her husband gamed out when to go on a walk. Right. And so they sent me a picture of them walking and it was beautiful. You know, so I, I think it's just a way to extend the relationship. It's a way to to challenge them to, to do better. And I tell them, I've written down the challenge. I will ask you about it in three months. So this is your warning, you know, and, <laughs> and, and of course it's tongue in cheek a little bit because I don't make people do things, but at the same time, I want to gently push when it's appropriate, you know, in the same way that you might in the context of physical therapy, say, listen, I'm not going to see you till Monday. If you have an opportunity to work on these three balance exercises, I'm going to test a Berg on Monday and we're going to see how you do, you know, and I just think it's, it's just living in the real world with people and really trying to push them to be their best. I love that. So as you're saying these homework assignments, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is great. Like anyone listening right now can write those down, do their homework assignment and give it to their neurologist, which led me to my next question though. I often hear, and this is very um, disappointing, but I often hear that my clients don't love their neurologist. They don't feel like, you know, maybe they don't understand or um, they just feel like they're not heard. So do you have any tips for someone who is in that position? Yes. Yeah. That is very, very important because as you're aware, the relationship with the neurologist is an intimate relationship. I mean, it's like any other intimate relationship and, and those take time to cultivate, right. And those take time and communication is important. And so not being heard feels horrible. And, you know, the neurologist may see 20 patients that day, but the human, the family has waited six months for this, you know, exchange. And so it's not very nice to leave disappointed and feeling unheard. And so, so here's the tip, bring someone with you, bring a village member with you by bringing a village member with you. You have a second set of ears and a second set of eyes and the village member will be listening the whole time. And later they can help you remember aspects of what's going on. That's one tip. If the village member knows about you, they can participate in the conversation as appropriate. You know I mean? So they can enrich the, the understanding. That's one tip that I actually find very helpful. A second tip is to prepare for the visit. I don't know if people know this, but I prep my visits. I go through your MRIs. I go through my old clinic notes. I look through your labs and I prepare what I'm going to discuss with you before I see you. So I don't think it's wrong for you to prepare for the visit also, right? I mean, let's, right. let's do our best. So writing down on a piece of paper, all your medicines, writing down your allergies, writing down all of your questions on a piece of paper. This is critically important. Then when you walk in say, hi, Dr. Johnson, I have five questions for you today on this piece of paper. Well, Dr. Johnson is going to be very hard pressed not to let you go through all five questions because <laughs> culturally, and you know, he's going to feel an ethical obligation. Oh, shoot. They got, five. okay. Well, what are the five questions? And then you can go through them all. And so by having that sheet, it tells the doctor, Hey, I've prepared for this and I have some specific things that I want to discuss. And if you get flustered or like, you know, you, you have a, a parking issue and you get in the clinic late and you're scurrying and you're all flustered, we don't forget because you can just look at your list. Another thing that you can do is you could do something personal or some type of personal interaction with the doctor. All right. So for example, you could say, doctor, I just wanted to show you a painting that I recently finished. I, I just want to, I'm really proud of this and I would like you to see it. So could I show it to you? Or if you're doing Zoom and you're a pianist, say, hey, doctor, I've been working on this piano piece. Can I have one minute to play for you? Now, you may be asking yourself, why is Dr. Boster suggesting this? It's because <laughs> they will, the doctor will remember that. They're going to remember, 
that's that lady that played the piano for me on telemedicine, you know, or, Hey, that's the guy that owns the, the, the distillery. That's cool. You know? And so I think that it's fair for you to want the doctor to know you, right? I, I just think that's fair. So I think those are three ways that we might be able to help someone be heard when they don't feel like they're being heard. Yes. Those are so important. And, and again, going back to something you said earlier, especially sharing something about you, hopefully that will also then guide them to help you, you create goals that are realistic for your life and what yep. you actually want to do versus just clinical based goals. Yep. That's exactly right. Because the goal in MS care is to make MS boring. Mm-hmm. So I want people to be uh, full of excitement in the bedroom and in the boardroom and in the playing field. I want them to be bored in my clinic. Like <laughs> if we're talking about my dog and our vacations and your children, that means we're not talking about loss of function and, and uh, brain volume loss and, and falls and relapses and stuff that's not, you know bad. So we're looking for boring. And, and really, that's all we're trying to do. And if that helps make things more boring, I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, I feel like I could talk to you for hours on end and we'll definitely have you back on our show to ask more questions. Uh, you know, cognition, bowels, all these things are so important. So if you're open to it, we'll definitely have you back on. I would be delighted. It would be my honor. So uh, whenever you want, let me know. And I'm, I'm back here with you. Sounds great. And also before we head out on this show, what would you like people to know with how can they find you? I think you'll have even more followers after this. Where can they find you? So that's so kind of you. So if, if you guys wanted to try to track me down, um, I have a website uh, for my clinic. It's the Boster uh, Center for Multiple Sclerosis. And the website is bostermscom So B-O-S-T-E-R-M-S dot C-O-M. You can find me on YouTube. Just type my name, Aaron Boster, into YouTube. And you don't have to like or subscribe or share, but that's where you'll find me. Um, I also have a presence on Twitter and on Facebook and on LinkedIn, for that matter. Again, it's all my name, Aaron Boster, MD. So if you guys are out and about on the interwebs, uh, jump on my YouTube page, leave a comment or come to one of my uh, live streams. I would love to say hi. Yes, I love those live streams. They're such a personal touch, being able to answer questions live as they're asking them to you. It's a really fun, um, it's a fun experience for me because it's really engaging with, with the community differently than I do in clinic. You know, it's an opportunity to engage and I really kind of fills a bucket for me. I, I, I enjoy doing it. It's like a little bit of mental gymnastics. <laughs> I love that. And for anyone wondering, all those links that Dr. Boster shared will be in the show notes. So you can just scroll there to find them and get easier access. So thank you again for being here with us today. And I'm excited to have you back. My honor. I can't wait. God bless. And I'll talk to you really soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am beyond grateful to have you as a listener. So as a thank you, I have something special just for you. I created a bundle of resources exclusive for the listeners of the Missing Link podcast who are looking for more guidance and tips to champion your life with MS. To get these resources, head over to msinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with a friend. Or if you're on social media, take a screenshot right now and post it to your page or your stories and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out to other MS warriors. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link podcast.